How you doing? You okay? How's it going? How you feeling today? Welcome to South of Fine, a podcast from Right Track Medical Group dedicated to destigmatizing mental health in the South through genuine conversation about the challenges that we all face every day. For more information, please visit our website, righttrackmedical.com backslash South of Fine. While we hope you enjoy listening to our podcast, please remember that this is not a substitute for professional diagnosis or for the treatment of any mental health condition. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode of South of Fine. As usual, I'm your host, Reese Lau. Today, we are going to talk about sleep and its impact on mental health. We've all been there. I'm actually there right now. I didn't sleep well, and my brain does not feel like it's in top gear, like it's kind of sluggish. So as everyone knows, if we don't get the recommended seven to nine hours of sleep, the next day we're exhausted and we're irritable. And whatever the reason, whether it's stress from work or family or just not being able to wind down at night, not to mention the constant draw from our phones and tablets that don't allow us to wind down at night, all of us can relate to feeling sleep deprived at some point. Despite evidence suggesting that sleep is as important to our overall well-being as things like diet and exercise, an estimated 40 million Americans suffer from chronic sleep issues. Apart from those experiencing sleep disorders, poor sleep is also linked to other common mental health concerns like anxiety and depression. We've discussed a lot of that uh, on this show. And it serves as kindling for those who have existing mental health conditions. With experts suggesting that sleep is so integral to our health, why are so many people struggling with sleep? Myself included. Last night. (laughs) Not typically, but last night. Um, And how is that impacting our mental health? To explore this topic, I am joined by Dr. Anna Catherine Black, a clinical psychologist at Delta Autumn Consulting in Oxford, Mississippi. Dr. Black, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. This is cool. All right. So let's jump into this thing, uh, Dr. Black. Let's first start with, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your philosophy on treatment and just give us some specifics on who you are and what you do? Yeah. Well, um, you already told everybody that I'm a clinical psychologist at Delta Autumn Consulting, but my background is in behavioral medicine, meaning that I treat conditions like chronic pain, sleep, headache, and how these go together with common psychological problems like anxiety or depression. Um, My philosophy on treatment is one of what we would call a cognitive behavioral approach, meaning that I look at how our thoughts and our behaviors contribute to some of our problems. And so my goal when I'm working with patients is to um, really teach them how to recognize this, teach them how to change these problematic thoughts and behaviors And uh, it's a very time-limited, active approach. And my goal is to really teach patients skills so that they can be their own therapist, so they can solve their own problems moving forward. Oh, that's cool. Okay, would those be considered, we've talked a good bit about coping skills. I mean, you're basically giving them not only coping skills, but um, regenerative skills, I guess. Yeah, education is a very big part of what I do is getting people to recognize how they may be contributing to some of their problems unknowingly. Like you mentioned, um, you're having problems with sleep. And, you know, a lot of times it's what we're doing that's actually causing some sleep problems. And we're not sometimes we're not aware of this. Oh, very cool. Okay, 
So speaking of sleep, so how people might consider sleep as a more physical issue than a mental one. Mm-hmm. So how were sleep and mental health connected? Yeah. So, so going back to thinking about it as a physical problem, a lot of times we think about physical health and mental health as being these two separate things when they're actually connected. Um, you know, physical health, we think about what we put in our body, our diet, our exercise, getting enough sleep. And we think about mental health as this, um, you know, how we think, how we feel, what we do, how we get along with others or get along in our environment. Mm -hmm. And um, they influence each other. Like you said, you, you mentioned that you had a bad night of sleep last night and you were feeling really tired and really like mentally foggy and, and groggy. Um, and, and, and we've all experienced that. Typically what happens is we start to feel a little bit better. Uh, we start sleeping a little bit better. We start feeling better and we don't develop these mental health problems down the road. But if we don't, if these, these sleep problems persist, we can develop problems like anxiety, depression, um, substance abuse issues, particularly if we're using substances to, to help us get to sleep at night. Hmm. Um, and I, I guess it, it goes both ways too, you know, as far as if you have, um, mental health problems like anxiety or just experiencing um, increased anxiety with the pandemic. You may have noticed mm-hmm. that you're also, your sleep is starting to take a hit as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's a good point. Um, pandemic. We can't go, we can't go without bringing that into, into the conversation. Um, I, I don't even say it anymore. I just spell it. <laughs> so if I don't sleep for three nights, is that bad? Or is that just, I'm just not sleeping for three nights? So that's a, a good point. Um, just because you have, everyone has periods where they don't sleep. It doesn't necessarily mean they have a sleep condition. If it's something where it's persistent and you notice that it's not just three nights anymore, now it's every night, I can't get to sleep. I'm having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep or I'm waking up in the middle of the night or I'm waking up mm-hmm. really early in the morning. Um, that's more of a more of an issue, more of um, something that may be related to insomnia or, or uh, maybe even some sleep apnea. We, we see this a lot. Um, but yeah, I think paying attention to how long it's going on. Are, are there problems like in your current environment that may be contributing? And if so, you know, do, does, do your sleep problems get better once those problems go away? If you've yeah. truly developed sleep problems, oftentimes the things will correct in your personal life. Let's say you're having work stress. The work stress gets better, but you still have the sleep problems. Mm. And that's because you've developed these poor sleep habits that are now contributing to your, your sleep. Oh, that's a good point. So even if the problem goes away, the sleep problem could still hang around. Exactly. If you trained your butt, huh? That's, that's interesting. So we've already discussed how you, how sleep can affect your mental health and how mental health can actually affect your sleep. Um, and in America, we tend to be a little bit more sleep deprived than in other countries. Um, what are the, some of the common causes of this uh, sleep deprivation and why do Americans tend to be more sleep deprived? Well, one of the things that we just talked about with the mental health problems, uh, we, there are high rates of mental health in America, but there's low rates of people seeking treatment. Some of this is because the stigma of mental health. Some of it's because it's just hard to find providers or it's expensive to find mental health providers and to get mental health treatment. I think another thing that that contributes, particularly in America, is diet and exercise. We're not putting good things in our, our body. We're on the go all the time, so we're getting something really fast and quick. 
Um, we're maybe eating pretty late at night, which interferes with our sleep. And if you go to places like Europe, um, they move more. You know, we live in Mississippi and everything's spread out. And so really to get from one place to the next, you have to have a vehicle. So we just naturally live more of a sedentary lifestyle, which not only makes it harder to sleep at night, but it contributes to obesity. And when, with obesity, you're going to see higher rates of sleep apnea um, and other um, sleep problems. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's a big problem. And then you mentioned earlier um, just technology in general. Um, technology has really affected our sleep problems over time, not just in America, but everywhere. We are uh, constantly connected to our phones, our iPads, our computers. And um, there's the, the issue of the, the bright light that when we're looking at these, these lights, our, our, our internal, our biological clock naturally resets to bright lights. You know, it's supposed to reset when the sun comes up. Um, and so we're constantly, it's constantly being reset, particularly when we're on these devices late at night. It's confusing our internal sleep clock. And, and not only that, but because we have these devices at our, our hand all the time, we don't unplug. Like we, we, mm-hmm. You may be checking an email at 10 o'clock at night when you're in bed trying to go to sleep. Or you may be on Facebook or, or doing things um, that are going to be very counterintuitive for sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a huge issue. I've started turning my sound off. Um, of course, at some point, my kids are getting to the age where I have to turn it on because we, you know, worried about them being out at a certain time. But I need sleep, and we don't have home phones, mm-hmm. so you know it stinks when you have to turn that on, and your friends that text you late at night start texting you. Right. And that happens at every age. You have somebody that's up late texting you. Right. Um, because they think they're funny. You know, you spoke of light and how that's affecting our circadian rhythms. And that's more of a modern issue. I mean, uh, in the since the onset of electricity, I think that we've really jacked that up a lot because we're staying up and we're not going to bed with the sun down and getting up as sun rises. Even though I do remember my grandparents typically doing that. Um, so, and, and then I also want to say this, and maybe you can roll on um, a little bit more. Uh, before this, we talked about a show I've been watching on Netflix, and they were in a, they were in a blue zone in Italy. So, blue zone is where you have a large group of people that are uh, centenarians. Um, so they're like approaching a hundred in the same households. And it's funny because you're right. There's a 98 year old that they featured and he would walk every single day and he'd walk up and down these big steps. And that was just part of his life. I don't even think he owned a car, he, but he was healthy. His mind was very adept with any sort of test that they gave him. He's just older. He's just 98. I'm getting a little verbose here. So I better get back to my script. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Oh, this is actually a good question. So what are some of the short-term effects of sleep deprivation? So some of the short-term effects would be problems with attention, problems with thinking clearly, like you mentioned earlier, not being able to, your brain's kind of in a fog. Yeah. Uh, problems regulating our, our mood, feeling irritable. You know, things just, when, when you had a bad night of sleep, things just don't sit with you very well. That, that's that's definitely an issue. Um, increased pain is, an, is another short-term mm. effect. Um, what does that I, mean? 
increased pain. So, so things seem, things are a little bit more painful when, when we don't sleep. Um, so we're on, our, we're not able to regulate our, our body stress system. Um, and so when that is, is turned on, our, our muscles are more tight, our blood pressure goes up. So you've noticed if you've ever gotten a poor night of sleep and you go to the, the physician and they check your blood pressure, your blood pressure is usually up, yeah. your blood pressure is up, your body is tight and tense. The worst thing you can do for pain is your body being very tight and tense. An interesting study came out not too long ago where they actually looked at reaction times. They wanted to see uh, people who have missed 24 hours of sleep, you know, looking at sleep deprivation and comparing them with people who had been drinking alcohol to see what were their reaction times when they put them in a simulator for driving. And they found that the people who were sleep deprived actually did worse than the people who had been drinking alcohol. Wow. Even when you, you know, you think you feel okay and you're like, I, I can go, I can drive. I only miss one night of sleep. I feel relatively okay. It's actually affecting you a lot more than you actually realize. Yeah. I, um, I've had, I've experienced that before because in a past life, as most of our listeners know, <laughs> I was in the entertainment industry. And when I was younger, I was on a film set and it was independent film. So we were shooting long, long hours. Um, and I, I, pro- I've probably been up probably about 18 to 20 hours. Um, and we were shooting 14 hour days almost every single day. And I started driving home and lights, the light, the lights were affecting me differently. And I, I've never thought that I need to pull over. But at that point I was, I, I had to pull over. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, and my body was shaky. That, well, I guess that part of the sleep deprivation, um, just from a personal standpoint, I, I've experienced that and you're right. It, it's worse than drinking, um, too much. Not that I've ever done that before in my life. I've never drank too much. <laughs> I did go to college. Come on. Um, yeah. So uh, that's, that's really, that's a great point. Um, what are some of the super long-term effects if you're dealing with sleep deprivation for a very long time? Long-term effects are going to be some of those physical health problems like hypertension, um, increased obesity or, or rates of obesity, heart problems, also a weakened immune system over time. It's going to be harder for your body to fight off infections and, and, things like the common cold. Um, yeah, which is can be kind of anxiety provoking right now with the pandemic yeah. going on. I know that's been a, a an increased concern for a lot of my patients right now. They're more concerned about their sleep because they want to make sure that they're healthy and they're doing everything they can to be um, able to fight off the coronavirus or just, you know, problems in general. Yeah. Um, so the more, the more we talk, the more I realize that sleep is probably one of the main, the main generators outside of diet um, of health problems. Yes, that's what we're learning, and that's why I'm glad we're doing this podcast to get that that information out there to people, so they start paying attention to their sleep. I think what we were talking about Americans earlier, just you know, what's what's the deal? Why do Americans seem to be more sleep deprived? And part of that is we don't really prioritize sleep. You know, there's that mm. common saying, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, mm-hmm. we don't think about sleep as being very important. And and yet we're finding that it is vitally important. We can if we can increase our sleep or not necessarily increase sleep, but increase the quality of our sleep. Mm. Um, we'll Expound sleep. upon that a little bit. So increase the quality of ours because we we hear all the time seven to nine hours or eight hours of sleep. 
Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So a lot of times, um, actually, that's one of the first things I tell patients, ignore that seven to nine hours. A lot of times that can be problematic because um, not everyone needs seven to nine hours. You know, that's kind of a magic number that we use, but some people need a lot less than that, whereas some people need a lot more than that. It's not really the the quantity of sleep that's important. It's the quality. How much unbroken sleep are you getting? So a lot of people, when they're trying to get, let's say, "Ah, I need need to get this seven to nine hours of sleep, they're staying in bed longer because they realize my body naturally wakes up when I get six hours of sleep. But in their mind, they think I've got to get more than that. I'm not sleeping enough. So they stay in bed longer. And the longer that they stay in bed, the more likely they're going to experience broken sleep because their body's just not used to being able to get that much. It doesn't need that much. And not only that, the longer we stay in bed awake, the worse it is because we condition our brain to thinking it's okay to be awake in bed. Huh. That's really interesting. Um, how do we know what our particular sleep schedule should be? So usually the way I tell patients to do this is to start tracking. A lot of people have, you know, a Fitbit that they can track their sleep or I actually, um, there's a, there's an app that I get patients to use called CBTI coach. Um, it's a, a free smartphone app that you can use and you can actually track your sleep. You can track what time you get in bed, what time you get out of bed, how many times you woke up, how long, you know, you can get really detailed. And and after examining that, you can see, well, how how much am I sleeping, you know, versus how long am I staying in bed? You know, how do I feel the next day? That's usually how we can can figure out if someone's not sleeping well is, you know, I feel tired. But just because you feel tired, does, there can be other things that are contributing. You can be dehydrated. You could um, have, you know, some other these mental, other mental health problems like just anxiety, depression yeah. that can be making you feel tired. So it's, there's a lot of things that are going on there for sure. Yeah, it's a very circular thing um, when we get into this that, you know, you can't just make yourself sleep. You have to actually take steps to fix your diet and exercise and that's all going to lead to better sleep and better health all around from, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm deriving that from what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> so I, this is, uh, I'm going to di- uh, digress here into something that, so Shakespeare and a few guys of his time period wrote about what's called a second sleep. Um, so before electricity, people will go to bed. Like we mentioned before, with the sun, with sundown, typically, I mean, you know, there's the, not everyone, but typically, and then they would wake up around midnight and read for an hour, do whatever for an hour or two hours, and then go back to sleep. And that's their second sleep. Have you ever heard of that? I, I Someone mentioned that to me not too long ago, actually, but um, it, before that, I'd never heard of that. Huh. Okay. I didn't know if that was like someone, some old wives tale or <laughs> if there was some merit to it. Um, with old timey circadian rhythms, well, it, um, it makes it makes sense. They they lived a different lifestyle. You know, we yeah. a lot of times, and that's another thing that contributes. We tried our lifestyle is an eight to five type of a lifestyle, and a lot of times that doesn't always line up with everybody's internal biological clock. You have people who are naturally night owls and people who are naturally early birds, um, and actually in the teenage years, that's it's a, shifted a little bit back and they're they're more likely to be more productive later in later in the day later in the evening and you think about schools all schools start before 8 a.m right i've, I've heard that discussion yeah 
So, so adolescents typically their natural sleep habits are later. So they would go to bed at like 1130 and, and be fine. And then if they, if school started a little bit later, they would be fine. They'd be more productive. Hmm. They wouldn't have as many sleep problems. And a lot of times that's when patients come in to see me, they don't even realize they have sleep problems because they've had these, this is how they've always slept. They, they may have started in childhood or in teenage years. And so they don't even realize it's abnormal until maybe they get married and their partner says, Hey, you know, you snore or, Hey, you, you stop breathing. Or maybe you realize that your partner falls asleep when they their head hits the pillow and you're like, I've never done that. That's, that's odd. That's when people yeah. start kind of picking up that, Oh, I, I actually even have a sleep problem. Huh? That's really interesting. Um, so it's, it, so some people like I've got friends and we know of certain high functioning individuals that only sleep four hours a night, but they must be just getting good quality sleep. Yeah. Is that a reality? Maybe. Yes. Uh, huh. And in fact, it's, you can, if you think about it, would you rather sleep five hours from, you know, you sleep the entire time, or would you rather get 10 hours of broken sleep where you're waking up every hour? Yeah, absolutely. And the idea is, yeah, you'd want to get that that consecutive sleep. And that has to do with our, our sleep waves and getting that deep sleep and getting REM sleep and things like mm -hmm. that, which is kind of complicated and probably won't get into it in this this episode. But um, when, we're, when we're getting broken sleep, we're getting a very shallow sleep. And so we mm -hmm. don't feel rested when we wake up. We don't feel rested during the day. In fact, a lot of times you may even, when you get that really broken sleep, you may feel more tired after a night's sleep than you did before you went to bed. Mm. And that's often an indicator that you're not getting good, deep, consecutive sleep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've talked a little bit about COVID and how it impacts impacted some of your patients. On the tales of COVID, we are, it seems that we are going to be reopening schools. Some, one day that we are, one day we're not. <laughs> so as children and teens and college students, they prepare to return uh, to school and to the classroom. How can they, and there's, it's, the, the question was to get into a normal sleeping pattern, but from what we've talked about, there's not really a normal sleeping pattern, a healthy sleeping pattern. So how can they get into a healthy sleeping pattern? I would say the very first thing is to get on a schedule. And I know y'all talked about this a few weeks back on one of your podcasts, just getting on a schedule to help with mood and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Schedule is also excellent for sleep. And that's one of the first things I recommend people do is make sure you're getting up at the same time every day. You know, that's what been the biggest shift in the pandemic is that you don't have to get up and go to work or go to school. So you're sleeping right. later. Um, and because you're sleeping in later, you're going to bed later and, yeah. and your, your sleep gets off when we do that. So getting up at the same time for those parents and um, kids, I would say get on a schedule sooner rather than later. Don't wait until the night before school starts to go to bed at a, a decent hour. Um, start right. that now. Go ahead and set your alarm for when you're going to be getting up during the school year and practice getting up. Start regulating your sleep that way. Cool. So if somebody's having trouble sleeping, uh, what are some specific coping skills that they can use to improve their sleep? And, 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 and you can tie this into um, exploring a little bit more about diet and exercise and how that affects it as well. Yeah. Um, so I would say one of the first things other than getting on a sleep schedule is uh, incorporating a wind down routine. 
mm-hmm. making sure that you're giving your your body and your brain time to wind down from the busyness of the day. So unplug a little bit sooner. I usually, my rule of thumb is anything that glows, turn it off 30 minutes before bed, at least 30 minutes before bed. Um, Also making sure that you're only using the bed to sleep. As I've, I've mentioned several times, your brain can start to think it's okay to be awake in the bed. And that makes it, we got to break that, that habit. Um, we got to break that association between your your brain thinking it's okay to be awake in bed. So that means don't play, don't be on your phone in bed, don't watch Netflix in bed, don't read in bed. Hmm. If you're if you're having these sleep problems, make sure you're doing that in a, in a different room if you, if you can. Um, but yeah, I guess to to um, to talk about how this happens, if you think about our brain is is constantly making connections with things that go close together. So for example, if I started talking about um, a lemon, like a big, juicy, sour, yellow lemon, your mouth automatically starts to salivate, right? Yeah. Um, That's because your brain has learned that lemons are sour. It's learned to expect the sourness of a lemon when you start to talk about it or think about a lemon. And our brain does that with bed too. What we want is our brain to think bed with, with sleep, with resting, with going to going to sleep at night. But if we're doing these things in the bed, like watching television, our brain has learned that the bed means it's okay to be awake. So mm. it makes that connection. So you may have noticed that you feel tired all day long. You're like exhausted. And then you get in bed and you're wide awake. You ever mm. notice that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good indicator that your brain has learned that it's okay to be awake in bed. Yeah. So in order to stop that, you've got to break that connection. You've got to get out of the bed when you're not sleeping. You've got to stop doing, you know, stop worrying in bed. Mm-hmm. You notice you're worrying, get out of bed, go do something relaxing. Like part of that wind down routine, like uh, listening to a, a boring podcast or listening to um, some soothing music or doing some breathing exercises, some relaxation or mindfulness exercises and then when you do feel tired, then go back and, and get in bed, you know, kind of hmm. continuing that. That's a, a good way to improve your sleep. That's hard to do, Dr. Black. Oh, it is. I, <laughs> I've actually, I've, I've done this, you know, I don't ever tell a patient to do something that I haven't done before. Yeah. And it, I, I get it. It's, it's tough. Uh, but if you can stick with it, yeah. it usually only takes about a week or two to recorrect that cycle and that, that, that pattern. And you'll be sleeping like a baby if you can do these things. But I, I know that's one of the things I work on with patients is, all right, what got in the way? Why, yeah. why didn't you get up this, this, this day? You know, what, why'd you stay in bed? Yeah. So, um, so what about napping? I know a lot of people would be interested to know about napping. If you're having problems sleeping at night, take the nap, get rid of it. That's the first thing I tell tell people. Um, my parents are very guilty of that. And I've been trying to break them of their naps for years. They say, well, I just, you know, I need that nap. I'm okay if I just do that nap. I usually say cut it out. But if you do have to nap, definitely do it before noon uh, and take a very short nap. You know, some people say a nap, but it's really a sleep. Yeah. It's, it's, so like uh, 10 minutes, 30 minutes at the max. Um, you know, not nothing any, any longer than that. Cause our sleep, we have a natural sleep need that's similar to hunger. Um, if you if you're snacking during the day, you're not going to be hungry mm-hmm. for dinner because you have decreased. You know, you made it so that you're not hungry anymore. Yeah. Sleep's the same way. If we're napping during the day, then we're not going to need to sleep at night. You know, we're not that our sleep need actually goes down 
each time we nap. So we want this to be, our, we want our sleep need or our hunger to be really great in the evening when we're trying to go to sleep. Right. And, and which is how exercise would tie in. I mean, if you've got, if you've pushed your body a little bit, I mean, it's, you're more apt to be able to wind down at the end of the day, I would imagine. Right. Exercise helps us to burn off some of that energy, that, that stress. Um, but I also want to point out, we don't want to be exercising right before bed either mm -hmm. because that can make it harder to sleep. So you usually say about four hours before bed, if you can. Four hours before bed. Yeah. Exercise four hours before bed. I mean, if you're doing something really light, like yoga. And when I say doing, I mean, some yoga can be really strenuous. So uh, if you're going to do something like that, doing like a, a deep breathing, a gentle stretch type mm -hmm. of yoga, that can actually be helpful for bed, but nothing that's going to make your heart rate go up. Okay. want to make sure you're doing that earlier in the day. What about eating dinner? I mean, how does that affect your, um, the time that you go to sleep? Is that impo impeded a little bit? Dinner's the exact same. I, I usually say four hours before bed for dinner as well, because if you're eating a big meal before dinner, your body's going to be trying to digest that when mm. you're trying to sleep, and that's going to make it harder to, to sleep during the night. Also, some people have a lot of indigestion. If you eat a big meal and then you try to go lay down immediately, it's going to increase heartburn and things like that. So if you're going to eat something before bed, eat something really light, um, not a meal, um, and making sure that it's something that's good for you, if you can. Why do people say that good sleep, healthy sleep promotes uh, weight loss? Or is it is it from inflammation? Or what's the deal with that? Some of that can be the can be the case. Others is that obesity. When you have a lot of weight pressing down, it's going to make it much harder to, for that get air through the airways, mm -hmm. which is what sleep apnea is you're unable to get that that air right. through there and that's caused by excess weight so um, the, the, the less you weigh the better your your chances of being able to sleep a little bit better at least not having sleep apnea but I, i've read certain reports that say that s sleeping a healthy sleep is going to enhance your ability to lose weight is that true or is that a no, it is absolutely true. Part of that is metabolism. You know, if you're if you're um, getting enough sleep, mm -hmm. you're also staying on a schedule. You're moving a lot more during the day. You're able to burn um, burn calories and things like that. People who typically sleep better stay on more of a schedule as well. They eat regularly throughout the day because they're on a schedule. Mm -hmm. They're moving. They're burning calories. So it, it all ties in. Okay. Cool. Um, I know we've diverted a little bit from the mental health aspects of this, but I think all of it's very interesting. And like you said in the beginning, education is key to all of this. Mm -hmm. And so learning as much as we can about why this affects us is hugely important, um, especially when I've got you right in front of me and I can ask you all these questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So at what point should uh, someone seek professional help for sleep problems? Well, as someone who treats sleep, I usually say the sooner the better because it's much easier to treat a minor problem than a major problem. Mm -hmm. But I think for most people, it's going to be when it starts causing you impairment, um, when you start having trouble at work or, or school, you're having trouble paying attention, or maybe you're falling asleep at the wheel, definitely seek treatment. Um, 
so impairments one, or if it's causing you distress, if you're just concerned about it or, or want to know more about it, seek treatment. Um, and, and what we talked about earlier, if it's become more consistent, if it's not just three days, but now it's been three weeks and you're still having problems with sleep three or more days a week, then it's about probably time for you to come in and get some help for that. So what percentage of like behavioral issues that you deal with could be related to sleep? I would say most of them. Uh, If they're not related to sleep, sleep is definitely a big component of it. And it's usually, it's always something that I assess for. And it's always something that I usually try to target at least at some point in treatment because it is such a, a contributing factor. Um, as I mentioned earlier, everyone doesn't always realize that they have sleep problems. So if I say, how are you sleeping? And they say, fine. I always ask further questions because they may think they're sleeping fine, but I get in there. I'm like, you know, you meet criteria for insomnia. You're definitely not sleeping fine. Yeah. Cause a lot of our understanding of sleep is wrong. Like reading in bed. I mean, that's just a simple thing, but you think that's healthy. You think you're helping your brain out, but you're actually messing everything up. Right. Well, I do want to point out if you're not having sleep problems, then reading in bed is okay. If you're um, feeling well rested and you're not having any of these problems like attention problems, memory problems, fatigue during the day, then it's okay to read in bed. But if you do notice that you're having problems falling asleep or staying asleep or waking up really early, you may want to cut reading in bed out, you know, read in a chair instead. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really good. Um, Yeah. I found that I, don't like to read at night anyway. I'm, I'm morning is when I'm fresh and can get everything going. <laughs> so if I get a bad night's sleep, then I'm not very fresh. As our audience won't hear this, but there's a, a lot of things that I really messed up <laughs> in this. So I'm going to have to edit a lot out because my brain is sluggish from lack of sleep. But Dr. Black, thank you so much. Um, I could sit here and talk to you about all these this stuff on and on, but we've got, I've kind of let us go a little bit longer than <laughs> That's okay. I should have. Uh, But thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Cool. So if you'd like more information about Right Track Medical Group or the South of Fine podcast, please visit righttrackmedical.com. I'm Reese, and I look forward to continuing this conversation with you guys in upcoming episodes of South of Fine. Dr. Black, get some good sleep. That was dorky. Sorry. That was good. If you have questions about mental health and the COVID-19 pandemic that you'd like our providers to answer in a future episode, please email southoffun at righttrackmedical.com. And if you'd like more information about Right Track Medical Group or the South of Fine podcast, please visit righttrackmedical.com. Thanks to our production team, Kelly Huntsberger, Caitlin Clegg, Carol Ann Hughes, Alica Batista, and Reese Lau. Special thanks to Squadcast for providing superior remote interview services.